Father in heaven, could it be that tonight you've made this a special appointment with us? And you don't have normal in mind. So we want to ask that you would come in and that you would disabuse us of any distractions or discouragements. Dear God, you know our minds shifty. But tonight, capture us and don't let one of us leave this place that we worship in tonight the same. I pray for miracles, dear God. In the name of Jesus, amen. I don't know exactly what heaven looks like. Exactly. And I don't know what heaven sounds like exactly. Although it may sound like the soul's choir. But I do know, I do know what heaven smells like. No kidding. I know what heaven smells like. In southwest Michigan, there around the university, uh, Andrews University, we have, we have vineyards. And California and Oregon and the northwest are, are not strangers to, to vineyards. But there in the southwest of Michigan, we have Concord grape vineyards. And come September and, and the, the, the cool nights... And one day, I love to run, one day I will be out on a run through the country roads and I'll catch that smell. Do you know what I'm talking about? Concord grapes on a cool morning. Man, it's good. It's, it's like this heavenly, literally, a heavenly experience. Amen. How do I know that that's what heaven smells like? Because in our Bibles, Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he's in a huddle with his disciples. It's in the book of Matthew. You brought your Bibles tonight, amen? Yeah? Not so much? Somebody needs to share. <laughs> What's your name? Gabriel. It's good to meet you, Gabriel. Hey, bless you. Some of you are laughing at Gabriel because you didn't bring your Bibles. You just didn't sit on the front row. Matthew chapter 26, right? Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is doing this. Here's, here's my body. Eat all of it. Here's my blood. Drink all of it. And then... Oh, I love these verses. Verse 20. Actually, you know what? We did something for you, Gabriel. Ha, ha, ha. But this is, not all of them are in there, so it's good you have a Bible. Then he took the cup, Matthew 26, verse 27, gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink all of it. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured 
for the rem- which is shed or poured for, for, the, for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, this is my favorite verse right here. But I tell you, but I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Are there grapes in heaven? Yes, there are juice grapes in heaven. Does, does heaven smell? Yeah. Exactly like it smells when you catch that fall scent coming out of the vineyards. But this is amazing. Jesus, at the close of, of his time here, as he's preparing for Calvary, he says to them, I will not celebrate drinking of the fruit, which represents forgiveness and salvation. I will not do this again until I do it with you in my Father's kingdom. So there are these vineyards in heaven. Growing grapes, being juiced, and maybe the angels. Although I I sometimes wonder if the angels would dare to drink if their commander isn't drinking. So all of heaven is is kind of in this experience of... Do you smell that? Oh, it's so delightful. And it's like this constant reminder of their mission... And for the angels, the sweetness of the smell of the grapes is compared to the sweetness of their mission. Young people, the angels delight in saving, in working for our salvation. And so this this, this smell is just like, wow! And the work that they engage in is... Wow! But I picture Jesus at some moment. I, I think grape juice is his favorite. Oh, it's orange juice, mango juice, apple juice. But grape juice. And I think Jesus, as he smells those grapes... But, but Jesus sharing this with his disciples, it communicates a message to them. It communicates the message, the, really the style of Jesus. Who, what is he about? And it communicates this idea. I'm not living for the present. What is going on now is for eternity's sake. This is a huge transition in their mind because they're all about the present. You've read their stories. Hey, what can we do now? What about the kingdom of God? Establishing it here. And so Jesus is in this transformation, working in the transformation of their minds that everything is for the future. Everything is for eternity. But that's how God is. He lives for eternity. Hallelujah. And so when the invitation comes, follow Jesus. When the invitation comes, beloved, for us to follow Jesus, the invitation is to follow Jesus in living not for the present, 
but for eternity. And if you, if you will take the time, you will find that golden thread woven through the followers of Jesus. Let's look. Hebrews chapter 11. Oh, if there is ever a favorite chapter, for me it's Hebrews 11. And the first two verses of Hebrews 12. Yeah. Hebrews 11. Not to worry, Gabe. I got it right there. Hebrews chapter 11. And verse 16. This is, this is about these followers, these faithful followers of Jesus. These men and women who have lived completely for the cause of the gospel. Even in the Old Testament, these men and women lived for the gospel. And here's their testimony. If they were to stand up tonight, Enoch, Abraham and Sarah, stand up. Tell us your testimony. This would be their line. Verse 16. But now we, they would say, or now they, we read, desire a better, that is a heavenly country, where therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. That is, that these faithful followers of Jesus also lived not for the present, but for eternity. Did you catch that? Their eyes were set on the future. What they saved up, what they sought to accomplish, was for eternity's sake. Get this, young people. They lived for eternity. Was it easy? No. Check this out. Verse 32. Same chapter. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. What, sh what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, also of David and Samuel, the prophets. Verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promise, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials and mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. Here's my personal favorite. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world, verse 38, was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. These were not normal. Because they were following a very not normal God. A normal God would, would look for the, the present, establishing the present. And the followers would learn from their God. But these followers have learned from their God. They've learned that their eyes ought to be on the future, on eternity, just like Jesus. When I read this description, young people, and I was sitting in the back this morning, sounds a lot like call porters, amen? amen. These were radical, extreme people. But what made them radical? 
Because the Bible also tells us that they were like as we are. They were subject to temptation. They had discouragement. They had failings. But what made them radical and extreme was this idea of not living for the present, but living for the eternity. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Here it becomes very personal. Wherefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the witnesses from Hebrews chapter 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hebrews chapter 11 paints this picture of men and women who are following a very radical and extreme God. And then Hebrews chapter 12 turns its attention not on them, but to us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us pick up this journey of living, not for the present, but for eternity. We have a great cloud of witnesses. That makes us feel good. It makes us feel good to come to a convention, to be part of a call porter team, to be part of a ministry team. Hey, we're part of a group. This great cloud of witnesses. But who are the witnesses? Hebrews chapter 11 lines them up. Abel. Who stood with Abel? Enoch. But who stood with Enoch? And Noah. But who stood with Noah? And Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. Who stood with them? And young people... It becomes cogent that this cloud of witnesses is not some school of evangelism. is not some four-month, and praise God for four-month programs. It's not even an institution like Andrews University. Hey, I'll, I'll align myself, I'll group myself with that, and then we'll become part of that great cloud. No, no, no. But the Bible as our witness is that this great cloud of men and women are men and women who stood alone. And now the paradigm is completely different. Men and women who stood alone. I just want you to salivate on that word alone. Because we're like, we're like, amen, alone. Yeah. Like alone with other people that are alone, right? <laughs> no. Alone. And let's just, let's just make this a little bit more profound. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, what was this? There was like a call porter team with like a Greek word on their t-shirts. Who was that Greek Oh, who, who are you guys? The Husi? N-U-C? Nevada, Utah. 
So you have this Greek word. So Greek scholars. Do you know the Greek word for witnesses in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1? Your brilliant mind's going to work. Hebrews chapter 1 uses this. In, in English, it's witnesses. In Greek, it's martus. Martus, martus, martus. We are surrounded by a great cloud of martus, martus. Does that sing like, sound like an English word? Pull that out for me. Martyrs. We are surrounded by a great cloud of martyrs. Now you may protest, hey, but all of those men and women in Hebrews chapter 11 weren't martyred. But their testimony was that every one of them would have been willing to give up their life for truth. And so a martyr doesn't have to be one who's actually sawn into or stoned. But everyone, everyone that joins this cloud of witnesses that stand alone is the one who is willing to give up everything, even life itself, young people. To stand alone. Uh, what's your name right here in the glasses? Nathan. Where are you from, Nathan? I'm not, good. Stand up, Colton. Uh, Nathan from Colton. <laughs> Amen. Look, just turn around and look back. Just kind of look around, gaze. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not a social visit. It's a, look around. You are standing alone, Nathan. Young people, listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. Because this idea of alone with my Weimar friends, alone with my souls group, alone with my, with my local church... It becomes this idea that I can, I can still be a groupie. But young people, you cannot be a groupie and join the cloud of witnesses. You must, for the sake of heaven, stand utterly, completely alone. And that's what it looks like. Everybody kind of looking... Thank you, Nathan. So the invitation comes in Hebrews from a cloud of witnesses who each stood alone, living not for the present, but living for eternity. These men and women who were willing to die, yes, give up their very existence. And young people, I work on a campus of young people. And I know how this, this goes. Like it would be sacrifice to give up. I, I, I love it. Let's, 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 let's like be bold for Jesus. Let's, let's like be bold for Jesus. Really bold. Like let's give up like media for like, okay, just a couple of days. <laughs> really? Oh, I just had a conversation with my colleagues at the Pioneer Memorial Church, the pastoral team, talking about what we can do to be radical. And this idea of, well, do we fast for a day? We have a hard time giving up our cell phones. What if it was your life? Young people, we can't play. I guess I shouldn't just talk to the young people. I see some old people. God's speaking to you too. So I read this article. 
by Clifford Goldstein in Liberty Magazine. It was back in 2010. But the lines that he writes... Listen, listen to this. Whether in politics or art or science, whatever, most human endeavors, including and maybe even especially the good ones, weren't accomplished by acts of balance and moderation, but by folk who worked with a fanatical and extremist determination. Do you catch his line? We, we get this idea, oh, we love, hey, be balanced. Be moderate. Be, be, like, don't be weird about whatever you're doing. But then Clifford stands up and says, look, the great things in the world were accomplished not by men and women who said, you know what, I'm just going to be balanced with this. But those who worked with fanatical and extremist determination. They were, they were extreme radicals. And, and then we, we love to get together. We love to hold ceremonies and recognize those who have done outstanding things. And we love to attend those. But young people, God isn't looking for more mm, ceremonies. You know, I was thinking, I'm from Oregon, grew up in Oregon. I, I visit, I'm visiting last summer. Last summer I'm visiting my, my family, my, my brother-in-law. We're up at Crater Lake. And we hike down to the, nearly to the water. And we get to this rock. It's a little bit of a cliff, just this overhang. And we're going to get into Crater Lake. We're going to jump in. And we had decided on the trail down that we're going to jump in from the top of the rocks. We're not going to go down to the water's edge. It wasn't all that impressive. I mean, it was like 25 feet or something like that. It wasn't some super... But there's this family, this tourist family. They're, they're there. They're taking pictures. And they see us strip down to our, sh our swimming trunks up on this rock ledge. And whoa, it's like we, we were like, like local extremists, like... Whoa, and, and they took out their cameras and they, and they videoed us. I got, I got videoed by these people that lived in some far off, they weren't even from the U.S. But young people, listen, there's, there were new, several ways to get into the water. One of which would have been normal, walking down to the water's edge and getting in. And nobody would have got their camera out. Why? Because we like people who are willing to do extreme things. Clip continues. Let's be honest. Terms such as fanatics, extremists, and fundamentalists much more closely reflect the kind of faith revealed in the Bible than, than do words such as moderate, lukewarm, or temperate. And he goes on writing in this article that Satan has hijacked the words extremist. When you read extremist, when you think extremist, what do you think? Yeah, somebody in another country doing things that are dangerous and even illegal. But let me ask you. Let's just use a very generic, well-known, everybody's familiar with it. The 9-11. And those men who rode those planes to destruction 
referred to in the news as extremists, radicals, fanatics. Why'd they do it? They didn't do it for this life. Satan has hijacked those words. Now the media presents them as something wrong. Hey, you don't want to be an extremist. You, want, you don't want to be a radical. You don't want to be odd. It's called linguistic hijacking. Oh, you need the world to understand you. The world, the world needs to be able to understand. Young people... The world will never understand someone who doesn't live for this. The world will only understand you if you live for the same ideals and goals as they do. If you're understood by the world, you're on very dangerous ground tonight. Wrote. I want to thank Francis Chan for the illustration and, and Tina, wherever she went, for the uh, rope. Let's take this rope. All right. This black, you see this black section right here? This is your life. All right. Birth. Right there. First grade. High school. College. You finish college, you get married, you have some kids, you work, you retire, everybody see where you're at in your life. And then at some point, you'll die. <laughs> Larry, some of these young people don't think they die at the end of life, but it's like they're invincible or something. It's, Do you see that? What, what's the rest of the rope? Yeah. And theologically, to be theologically correct, we'd have the rope go that direction, too. But this rope would continue forever and ever and ever. Young people, if you were, if anyone was an intelligent being, where would they want to invest where would you want to invest? The black tape? <laughs> we, have, we have a silly rope up here trying to illustrate eternity. But young people and old people, this goes on forever. And we focus and everything that is around us. You step outside, you pick up a magazine, you watch a commercial. And it will be about your satisfaction in this life. Everything has inundated us. It's blinded us to living for this short little black section. All the while, the invitation from the Savior and the, the invitation to follow Him is about living for the rest of the rope. Therefore, we also are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. 
and the sin which does so easily ensnare us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking verse 2 unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith what are we gonna see when we look unto Jesus a Jesus who lives for eternity I'm not gonna drink that juice again until we celebrate it at the beginning of eternity together looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now, right now, tonight, he's sitting on the right, right hand of the throne of glory. Where, therefore, we also, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, witnesses who stood alone, witnesses who stood utterly and completely alone, I want to speak to those who spent their summer. I know there's more of you than that. But some of you, many of you spent your summer working for Jesus, working for eternity. A summer's not going to be it. Young people, I was a canvasser once. My, my leader, my leader's name was Bill Crick. I have colleague canvassers who are not spending tonight, this Friday night, welcoming in the Sabbath. I have leaders, Magabook leaders. Where are the leaders at? I have Magabook leaders who led me into serving Jesus summer after summer that tonight are not welcoming the Sabbath. Don't, don't graduate yourself. Do not graduate yourself into thinking you have now, you are now living for eternity, young people. It's not just a summer. Spend your black tape section of the rope investing in the rest of the rope. Not just the summer. For the sake of heaven, stand alone for the rest of your life. Satan has, Satan has a mark on you. You're some of the brightest and the best. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love to run. Went to high school, the Upper Columbia Conference, and every spring, every spring there was a, a race in Spokane, Washington called Bloomsday. So in the spring, a group of us guys would go up there and run this race, seven and a half miles, 12K. And I remember last time I ran it, there's a, there's a, there's a hill called Doomsday Hill. It's about three quarters of a mile. Like in just an incredible grade, just, and it's at, it's at about a mile, five and a half to six and a half, right in there. So you've put some miles in and now you hit this hill. This is almost a mile long. 
and I gave everything I had and I, I crested the hill and my legs were burning, my lungs were burning. And I broke my run and I began to walk. And this old man, oh, I didn't know him, hands square in my back. He said, let's finish this boy. I've never seen that man again. But as you finish in downtown Spokane, under the banner, there was a man on an elevated platform speaking into a microphone. As you came under, he would welcome you, welcome you back, welcome home, you Bloomsday finishers. Welcome home. You did it. And very soon, there will be an entrance into another city. And we'll cross the finish line. And there will be a man who is elevated, but not because of a platform, but because he is elevated. And you will hear him, not because he has a microphone, but because nothingness hears him. He'll say, Gabe, you did it, boy. Welcome home, finisher. Nathan, welcome home. You stood alone. You joined the cloud of witnesses alone. Not because there was an eye share or because there was a school, but because you, as a single individual follower of Jesus Christ, lived not for the present, but for eternity. And don't kid yourself. There will be a cloud of witnesses. When this is all shifted out, the majority of the universe the universal majority will be standing for Jesus. It was only one-third of the angels that fell, so that's two-thirds. There's unfallen worlds, and then there's the redeemed from planet Earth. Those massed together, when the two sides, all that have ever lived in the universe, are amassed for one great final showdown, there will be more standing under the banner of Jesus than those who rejected him. At the very end, beloved, we will be part of the universal majority. But here, while we travel here, not so. Not so, our, our individual, our alone decision must be, I will follow you, Jesus, I will follow you. It doesn't matter what the rest of the call porter team does or the rest of my church in Colton does. It doesn't matter whether Andrews University or Loma Linda or La Sierra or PUC or Southern or any other institution. It does not matter. Jesus, I follow you. You'll stand alone. You will face ridicule from within. Don't kid yourself. We live for the present in the church just as much as the world does. Therefore, 
we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, martusis, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, following Jesus, our Savior. Nathan, are you willing to stand alone? Are you? So stand alone. Gabe, are you willing to stand alone? So stand alone. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else that tonight will stand alone for the cause of Jesus Christ? Standing alone for the cause of Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth easily beset us. Let us run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus. We will follow you. Alone we will stand, willing even to surrender and sacrifice life itself. What could be the greater testimony that we live for eternity and not here? We want to be thought of, dear God, as extremists, as radicals. Please make it so that in every life here in this room tonight, not one is seen as normal, moderate. Oh, dear God. Tonight, we join the cloud of witnesses and we follow Jesus forever. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.